Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special Geeksplain Extra series that we're calling Into the Snyderverse. I am your host, Eric Azana, and I am joined by my two co-hosts. First, from the Artistic Liberties podcast, we have Andrew Kincaid. My man! <laughs> <laughs> Alright! And we... <laughs> And from the Scripts and Screams uh, podcast, we have Chris Carter. That's it. How do I follow that? I feel like I should speak Dothraki at this point or something, but hello all. Good evening. Better. <laughs> Is that not what we were supposed to watch? I just watched Game of Thrones. Was that? Oh, man. Legit. That first season with him is astonishing. <laughs> it's the best acting Jason Momoa has ever done. Oh, man. It's a word of English. Right. <laughs> but of course, this is the series that in the lead up to the release of the Snyder Cut, where we basically go through the entire DCEU catalog movie by movie by movie, and we just talk about them. The highs, the lows, the great stuff, the not great stuff. There's a lot of not great stuff, but we are going to go through a real high point in this series as we talk about 2017's Justice League. Ah! <laughs> if, if you couldn't tell, Andrew's really excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Justice League. Justice League 2017, uh, uh, directed by Zack Snyder, written by Chris Terrio and Joss Whedon. They have uh, writing credits on this, I checked. Uh, this was to be, essentially for DC, their Avengers. This was the goal from the outset. This is going to be the big movie that brings everybody together. They even had that, uh, that Come Together song in, uh, the, yeah. in the trailer. And it just, it's rocking, the trailer looks cool, I'm like, I like this, but I'm really worried when these trailers were coming out, because you heard all of the stuff that was going into the production, and we will talk about it. But I remember going to see this movie for the very first time, and it was disappointing. <laughs> we, we the, went to, the lead up to disappointing. We, <laughs> I, I had to give that dramatic pause. Um, but we went and saw it at the Americana over here, and I just remember thinking, I, I remember ha having my fingers crossed, I was like, just be okay. Just be okay. <laughs> That's what I need. As long as you're okay, I can tell people that I liked the movie. Please just give me this. Give me this, and I will... I, I will be okay. You won't have to give me anything else in 2017. And I remember walking out of this movie just thinking to myself, you had one job. You had one job. You just had to convince the guy who tells everybody the good things, and you couldn't <laughs> even do that. Now, Andrew, do you remember seeing Justice League 2017 for the first time? Yes, I remember um, at some point logging in to some HBO app and <laughs> getting absolutely drunk with my roommates, thinking that, oh, we're going to be able to make fun of this intoxicated like we did Suicide Squad, and it's going to be a great time. And it's one of those things where, like, have you ever just been in a room with a bunch of people that are experiencing a movie and you're just all so quiet 
because the movie is so bad there's no jokes to to make fun of with like that is justice league and that memory is so distinct in my head of like wow there's not even a bit of comedy here i'm just kicking somebody while they're down like this is this is just sad i'm just i'm i'm sad at least when we went and saw fan four stick like we had a good time because we were just the only people one of my favorite viewing experiences going into this empty theater andrew whipping out a flask and jacob having a slushy and all of us just passing everything around while we watched this train wreck justice league does not give you that same feeling chris what was your experience watching it for the first time You know, it's funny. I I love when you ask this because it lets me kind of delve deep into, you know, where you're at in that time in your life and the friends that you're with. And I, honest to God, do not remember when I saw this. I don't remember. (laughs) It's completely unmemorable. That's like, and and it's funny. Andrew said it. It's like, you don't want to kick them when they're down. It's the weird thing. It's like, we should give them a compliment. It wasn't that bad because of how bad it was. It's like when someone gets their ass kicked, it's like, you got some punches in. You did okay. And it's just like, it's... You're just trying to help their ego. Right. Right. I can't even justify that. Just like, you got your ass kicked, bro. (laughs) Yeah, I, I honestly do not remember. Um, and I've seen it a couple times since then. Like, it's on HBO. It's an epic. I mean, it's almost, what, two a and a half A couple times. More. So, I know. It's it's the great thing to have on in the background when you don't have to pay attention to it. You can kind of leave, come back. And then it's like, well, this thing is on the background. But, you know, I don't have to pay attention to it. I don't like it. But it's just there. I have right. that's my relationship with a lot of the DC films, to be honest with you. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I honestly don't remember when the first time I saw it was because it was it was pretty unmemorable for sure, for yeah. sure, obviously. And I think a, a big part of that has to do with the troubled production that I mentioned earlier. And yeah. th- it has been a saga with this movie. The movie was yeah. originally... So this, a Justice League film, has been in development with Warner Brothers since 2007. 2007 when they were trying to get George Miller's Justice League Mortal together. They had a cast, they had costumes, they had locations, they had everything ready to go, and then Australia was basically like, no. (laughs) We're not giving you the tax breaks to make this garbage. And when you look at, and this is a story for entirely other time when you look at the similarities between justice league mortal and what Zack snyder's original vision for this film was they're eerily similar it's really strange um but so this film was shelved there was wasn't going to be a justice league film and then 2013 happened man of steel debuted in theaters the year after avengers and dc went holy shit maybe we can do that So instead of having a bunch of separate solo films, they decided we're going to have one solo film, then we're going to have a pre-Justice League film, then we're going to have a Justice League film. And what ended up happening was they decided that this Justice League movie would be 
the start of their universe. They are going to introduce and debut several different superheroes and then spin them off into their own films. At one point, Warner Brothers had an entire slate through 2020 this year with films like Wonder Woman, Suicide Squad, Justice League, Justice League Part 2, The Flash, Cyborg, Green Lantern. They had all of this stuff planned. And initially for this Justice League film, and I thought, this is wild doing my research for this. This movie was essentially supposed to be much more linked to Suicide Squad than it ended up being. If you go back to the Suicide Squad episode, we talked about how fucking weird it is that Enchantress just randomly has a brother who is completely made of CGI and doesn't really have a place in this movie. Well, would you be surprised if I told you that that CGI creature, that Enchantress kind of enslaves but basically teams up with was originally supposed to be Steppenwolf. Originally, yes, originally the plans for Suicide Squad were that Enchantress was going to be powered by a mother box and she was going to be partnered up with Steppenwolf for the duration of Suicide Squad. The squad would somehow defeat Steppenwolf <laughs> and the Enchantress. Therefore, calling forth Darkseid for the Justice League film. Now, this initial thing is just bonkers. And the fact that they went with, uh, I think his name is Incubus. I had to look this up as uh, oh, Enchantress's shit. brother to be brought in for this makes me feel like a little better about Suicide Squad than the fucking <laughs> insanity that would have been, hey, let's just fucking introduce Steppenwolf. Um yeah, and it's just like, at this point, when they were in kind of knee-deep in development, they just, they had too many hands in the pot. They had Jeff Johns and John Berg, who were brought on to oversee DC Films, and they had a hand in crafting the story along with Zack Snyder, and they also brought in Ben Affleck after he got the uh, casting of Batman. The goal initially was we're going to have Batman make his first appearance in BVS. It's going to be Ben Affleck. Then Ben Affleck is going to either produce or direct the Justice League film. And that was the goal. Unfortunately, as we all know, that didn't happen. So Ben Affleck basically was brought in as a producer to oversee script and story changes, basically keeping an eye on the Batman stuff. And then during um, production... Zack Snyder brought in one Joss Whedon to help with writing, with help with the script, with the stories, and eventually WB was kind of overseeing everything and recognized that, holy shit, we have too many people trying to pull this in too many different directions. And it really took a turn with Kevin Sujihara. If you don't know who Kevin Sujihara is, was or is he's alive i should say is not was um <laughs> kevin sujihara used to be the head of warner brothers warner brothers pictures and it came to light that he was pushing forward the uh the production of justice league even though they were clearly not ready because he wanted to make sure that justice league hit its release date in 2017 because if the film did not and had to be pushed back to 2018 then he along with the higher execs at warner brothers would miss out on their yearly bonus so corporate greed pushed this film forward 
And then, mm-hmm, and then you come to find out that Kevin Suchihara was forced to leave his position at Warner Brothers in shame because of a scandal involving him, uh, basically promising uh, film roles to different actresses for sexual favors. So I, remember, I read this. Yeah, I read about this. Yeah, story. that was a big story. Actually, it was a huge story. That, I remember that. Yeah, and then if. All of that wasn't enough. The straw that broke the camel's back was unfortunately, of course, the tragic death of Zack Snyder's daughter during the post-production of the film. And while Zack tried to soldier on for about a month or two months following this, eventually he des- he made this the decision to step down and kind of hand the reins back to WB and just let Warner Brothers kind of finish up a film and they gave the film over to joss whedon now whedon was already part of the storyboarding already part of the script writing but he was basically given the job to finish up Zack snyder's vision for the film and so this involved certain reshoots this involved script edits this involved different edits of the film itself and one of the big changes was he kicked Junkie XL off of scoring the film and replaced him with legendary composer Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman uh, has just done so much, but he's probably most well-known for doing the uh, Raimi Spider-Man movies and the Tim Burton Batman movies. And you can hear this in the film when whenever Batman shows up, it's a weird version of his um, 1989 theme. It's odd, but... If that wasn't enough, we also had Henry Cavill's Mustache Gate, where during the idea or during the process of the reshoots, they basically had to bring Henry Cavill back. However, at the time, he was filming Mission Impossible Fallout. And while he his schedule did allow him to come back for those limited reshoots, Mr. Henry Cavill had a big old burly manly mustache in Mission Impossible Fallout, and he pulled it off really well. But the film, Justice League, which featured Superman, Superman did not have a mustache. So Warner Brothers and Joss Whedon basically went to, um, went to the team behind, um, uh, behind Mission Impossible Fallout and said, Hey, let him shave the mustache. We will pay you money to digitally insert a mustache onto him for the rest of your filming. And the director at the time, I know, Ralph McQuarrie, was like, you know what, fine. If it's that important to you, fine, we'll do this. And then they brought it to Paramount Pictures, and Paramount went, ah, no. They basically said that they basically had WB over a barrel, and they were like, you're not doing this. You, how about you guys can digitally remove his mustache, and we get the Justice League that we have. So with all that preamble, with all of the troubled production here on the table, how'd they do, guys? Real quick, just just to interrupt, um, do you know how much that cost them? How much did that cost it? It's time for Chris's numbers. (laughs) Cha-cha-ching. $25 million. You're lying. $25 million? Yeah. According to Business Insider, they're talking about how much it costs to digitally remove it. $25 million. It would have been $3 million for what you were talking about. 
but $25 million. Just to put that in retrospect, that's more than the reshoots from Suicide Squad that we talked about in that episode. That was $22 million of reshoots. I can watch a deep fake porno of Henry Cavill that looks better than that. It doesn't cost $25 million. What were they spending on? This is the part of oh um, of uh, of uh, deliverables in 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 the post process. So now a lot of these cameras are shooting in six K and four K and eight K. So every single frame, and there's just they probably shot, and then this is going to get nerdy talk in twenty three frames a second. That's what we shoot. That's what the standard is. Um, if they were shooting in slow motion, like they do with that scene where the my favorite scene in the whole movie where he sees Flash kind of coming around him. Yep. That was probably it. shot in 120 frames a second. 120 frames in one second. So every single frame has to be digitally altered by hand. Wow. They can't copy and paste, you know, over, you know, one take, two takes. It's mm-hmm. every single frame. And again, 120 frames a second. On let's just call it 4K footage, would take fucking forever and cost probably 25 million dollars. So, but it but, doesn't even yeah. look good for 25 it million terrible. dollars. It looks like yeah. 25 thousand dollars, and yeah, that's just that's that's the thing about this movie is overall it's just this weird mishmash Frankenstein of a movie. So. Yeah. Let's let's dive into some of the nitty-gritty stuff. So we talked about before in other episodes about bringing in Henry Cavill as Superman, bringing in Ben Affleck as Batman, bringing in Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, to varying degrees of success for each one. This one, even though they made a weird, just forced cameo in Batman v Superman, we got the debut of the other three members of the DCEU Justice League. Uh, we're gonna let, Let's tackle them one at a time. But since we already oratted him earlier, let's talk about <laughs> Jason Momoa as Aquaman. So, who wants to talk about Jason Momoa as Aquaman for a second? I, Andrew's got passion. Let's let Andrew, Andrew, go Andrew has passion. If there of, if there's one thing that, that this series has taught us, it's that Andrew has many a passion for many a thing. So, <laughs> share your passion for Jason Momoa as Aquaman. You know, I remember like being like, I remember bringing that image of the very first like of the concept or like whatever it was that Jason Momoa announces Aquaman and that photo with the trident and the tattoos and the armor. I remember uh, showing it to you, yeah. Eric, and like we were and like we were both kind of just like, all right, this is a really weird turn because we were because <laughs> yeah. we were both like for a few weeks going. I mean, I think I was in the Charlie Hunnam camp because I was high off of Pacific Rim. And I was just like, no, no, no. I've seen Sons of Anarchy. His accent is way better. He he can do it. I swear he can do it. <laughs> yeah. And I was in the Army Hammer camp because I had recent. I don't know if the timeline matches up exactly, but I'd recently watched Lone Ranger. And I was like, right. he can do it. He's a big old guy. And he was a Winklevoss. A, so we know he can I'm act. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Army Hammer. But. Lo- the Lone Ranger was the biggest flop in Disney history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but I, I did you guys, uh, um, he obviously owns, or he's part, he's a big part of a 24. Uh, and he mm-hmm. had that, uh, film with Brie Larson that came out to kind of kick off their, 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 uh, Oh, I can't think of it, but you guys should see it. I'm going to have to give Is you guys a name, but I'm a porn thing. I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so, but I'm a huge fan of Army Hammer too, though. I, I like Army. He's a huge dude. He's got he's got movie star looks. 
right? He's he got. Does. A, he looks like a he's, movie. He's he's been in the running for Batman twice at this point. Oh, yeah. shut up! I'm serious. <laughs> I would honestly cast Army Hammer as Superman over Batman. And, but you're absolutely right. He's a very he's huge. Large man. He's very big guy. He's got he's he is like nineteen fifties Hollywood attractive. Yes. Like he is old yeah. school Hollywood attractive. Yeah. And I and I love him in the social network. That was the very first time I experienced him. And Army Hammer and like you know, now as you say it, I think he would have made a much better Aquaman and than Jason Momoa. Uh, and like God, like I remember seeing that concept or like that first photo and going, okay, we're getting Cal Dragger under the sea. Hey, yeah. or we're getting this sort of like, like the nineties Aquaman with like the hook hand. No. And I love that Aquaman. That Aquaman is so much fun, but what we got was literally just Jason Momoa <laughs> in the justice league. Like that was literally <laughs> it. Like they, like, Oh man. Oh, what a missed opportunity. But like, it's sad because like, I, I understand what they were trying to do in that they were trying to diversify the, the justice league. And if you're going right. to change out one of the characters for, uh, you know, a person of color or of somebody of just different or besides the bland white guy that Aquaman is because he is a bland white <laughs> he guy. Is. I like they pull and through without there's the no long the beard, like there's nothing you can do with him. So to do Aquaman in a different form in a new way, I thought it was a great idea. And I was super excited because Jason Momoa ancestry and who he is and as a person is from Hawaii. And I was so excited to see a more tribalistic uh, Atlantis. And this idea like was really, really cool. And then it was just Jason Momoa. <laughs> and that was it. And like, the, like, there's nothing else that I can say because it's just Jason Momoa. Well, and it's so interesting because like we and we made fun of it earlier. And like, I think one of the things that caught a lot of people off guard were some of the early trailers for this film where like, you see Jason Momoa with his trident and his hair. And he's like, Oh, right. My man. <laughs> like just all of the Jason Momoa isms that he's kind of known for just palling around with cyborg and flash. And it was so interesting to me, like bringing him in and like giving him that energy because he's not anything close to your classic, you know, white meat baby face Aquaman. And, like, you see the potential for him to be, like you said, like this um, tribal uh, Pacific Islander style Aquaman with, like, the Maori influences, Samoan influences, all of those really great um, influences that could give... a an entirely new flavor to this character. And they were basically like, we're going to give you a taste of that, but it's pretty much just going to be Jason Momoa. And even like the first scene that he has with, uh, with Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne, it's just like, he obviously doesn't care. He's just, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm the Aquaman. And like the, it's, it's this weird disconnect with the character. Mm -hmm. It's so weird because that very first trailer of Justice League where, you know, Ben Affleck or Batman or whatever the fuck, he <laughs> like, it's just 
like so I hear you talk to fish or some crap like that and like he turns yeah. around and he's got the he's got the context in mm-hmm. and he's just like talk I was like all right that's what I want if you're gonna okay. give me Carol yeah. Dragger under the sea that's fucking cool. <laughs> cool I am so game for badass Aquaman and then from there it's 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 just a playgirl cover and he's just making these <laughs> weird jokes and like don't get me wrong Jason Momoa like does it for me just as much as everybody. Uh, everyone else on the planet the guy is is gorgeous f- through and through but like it doesn't help him in this role role I, I oh man i'm one of the very few people who will say that the conan movie that he was in has some good moments to it Boo. but like I, I'm, I'm, conan. I, am, I love Co- <laughs> i love me some conan and like jason momoa casted as conan was one of the most brilliant things that movie is dog shit. It's got some moments. It's got some good moments. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna put a uh, piping hot take there. I would rather watch Scorpion King than the Jason Momoa Conan movie. All right, that's not the fair. The Scorpion King with the Rock. The Scorpion King with yes. the Rock was was pretty good because yeah, it's an incredible right. film. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> and we're gonna watch it for our next series. <laughs> as we dissect the mummy movies and dive into the Scorpion King franchise. Oh, oof. I thought it was just gonna be the first one because I was no all four of them, including the one with Randy Couture. Oh god, we're gonna watch oh, all god. of them. But my point is, it is like you are absolutely right in how this movie is so Frankenstein because the wor- the, the unfortunate reality is that Aquaman and this character got that got the brunt of that Frankenstein treatment because they had an idea as soon as Zack Snyder was off the project, it was just like, hey, we need you to do charisma and we need you to be a little bit more fun. And Jason Momoa is just like, I'm just gonna be the bro that I am. And that was it. Well, and and this is like a really small thing, but I always like I always get unnecessarily angry when we see um that scene where uh uh Jack White's icky thump comes on to the screen and like he's walking out onto the dock and he's drinking that bottle of like whiskey or whatever and he just throws it down into the ocean. I'm like, "What are you doing? Fucking littering. You're yeah. Aquaman." This is the exact thing you should not be doing. But I would actually disagree on Aquaman taking the brunt of the changes between the two edits because I would argue that Ray Fisher as Cyborg suffered the most between the two visions of Justice League. I I, I completely see your point, but how but like my point is is that Jason Momoa's Aquaman is more Frankenstein-esque in, in that sense because it is like these two fusion inversions formed together when Ray okay. Fisher is literally just body parts getting removed and like time and character or development is just gone away for exposition. That's so true. like that that's my only argument. You're completely right in that that poor man who did a great cyborg and who did a great job with what he was given and was suddenly just so much character was taken away from him. I mean, he's no Joey Von Wade on Doom Patrol as Cyborg, but he's pretty good. He's pretty freaking good. That's not good. fair. It's that not, not fair, fair but whatsoever. it's a true statement. It's, it's uh, true. As someone who <laughs> as someone who isn't super familiar with the Cyborg character, how did he come across to you as um just from a layman's perspective, because this was yeah. not just kind of the debut of Cyborg, but this was also Ray Fisher's first non-theater acting credit. 
Yeah. You know, it, it's hard to say because, again, I don't know enough. I think in this case, that hinders me because I mm-hmm. felt like he played it real flat. The actor himself, his voice, and again, he is a cyborg. So if you notice, his voice is kind of the same throughout everything. You know, you know. I think Justin may have made a point. He says booyah at the end of it. And even that's kind of flat. It's just... I didn't, I didn't enjoy his portrait. I didn't enjoy that character as a whole. Now, I know that they cut a big part of his story out. I know that, that they had shot way more. Um, him as mm-hmm. the football player, him as, you know, and I think some of the car accident too. Um, and I think that's kind of where the, the term for me, Frankenstein, gets kicked around is when they're trying to pick parts to kind of build this whole and with the knowledge that, hey, we are probably going to have a cyborg film. Hey, we probably are going to have a Flash film. So I think they had to use these vignettes into these characters, and this is kind of how they did that. For me, it kind of falls flat in the same way that Suicide Squad fell flat. The first 20 minutes of Suicide, Suicide Squad, we have the introduction to these characters. and, and All of we're them. Supposed to, <laughs> right, and we are supposed to care about them. They are more. In this one, we have these... Um, these little pieces of cyborg and then and, and well i think his story is interesting in the vignettes that we got they it wasn't that interesting to me and you know i, I the actor does a fine job he has that cool interaction with gal gadot um and then him and superman at the end of the film but mm-hmm. other than that i think i think having so little screen time allocated to him feels like a waste at least in, in, in my opinion and you know they're trying to dole out screen time for Flash, Cyborg, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Spoiler yeah. alert. So, you know, that's that's a that's a tough juggling act. Is to Superman's make. in this movie. Ah, right. What is he wearing a black suit? I've seen pictures somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> but of course we saved the best for last, and I use that term loosely. Ezra Miller is the Flash. Now, Ezra Miller as an actor. I like as a person Ezra Miller as a person Uh, is difficult. Yeah. Ezra Miller as Barry Allen, even more so because Barry Allen has gone through a lot of changes, both in the comics and shows, um, whether it's animated or live action. Um, Barry Allen wears a lot of hats and, I think with a lot of modern-day Flash writing, they take stuff like the Justice League animated series, they take stuff like more recent animated films, and they're like, that's Barry Allen. That's the Flash. And the problem is, it's not Barry Allen. It's Wally West. Barry Allen, who was Wally West's predecessor, is much closer to your, like... You're straight-laced, like, yeah, he has some confidence issues, but he is, like, he's the guy. He's got confidence. He's got direction. And when they decided that Ezra Miller was going to be the Flash, I was like, oh, so it's either going to be Wally West or Bart Allen. Clearly, it's not going to be Barry Allen. Not only does he look nothing like the character from the comics, which does not obviously change anything because look at Jason Momoa as Aquaman but like he doesn't act like Barry Allen and in this film he doesn't even act like Wally West they I feel like what they did was they saw the um they saw the scene in Civil War where uh Tony Stark meets Peter Parker for the first time and they were like oh that's the Flash yeah it's clearly that's the Flash looking at Peter Parker, and they decided, 
well, we're just going to do that. And it shows up in this film. There is a blatant copy from this from Civil War into the scene where Batman meets the Flash for the first time. And it's so obvious, especially if you've watched Civil War anywhere near the time you've watched Justice League, that they are just carving copies of the same scene. They tweak little things here and there. The superpowers are obviously different, but, like, it's the exact same scene. And it's baffling to me how they took an accomplished actor, not an accomplished person, at, like Ezra Miller, and they decided, oh, we're going to make you act like you're a 12-year-old in a man's body. How do you guys feel about The Flash? How do you guys feel about Ezra Miller? Um, how do you feel about his inability to look like he knows how to run? Oi. 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 Chris, you go first, because I'm not going to be nice on this one. Okay. Because you've been so nice so, so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, though. He doesn't... It's funny. Um, obviously, I think everybody here has seen Friends, where uh, Phoebe tries to run in the park. You know, mm-hmm. and, and she's running, and you kind of get that vibe that Ezra Miller kind of. That's like, so. On that same level. I would but, love uh, <laughs> for someone to edit that together. How dare yeah. you assume I've seen Friends? Just give, <laughs> just give Phoebe the lightning effects from right? Ezra Miller's Flash. Just, that would be incredible. Right. You know, it's it's he is funny throughout the film. I don't. Again, this is where I think that it's a good thing that I don't know. I didn't know there were three different Allens. Or West, for that matter. So just knowing so this was the one and only, we won't get into it. Um, was fine. I mean, I think that uh, uh, <laughs> I think that it was uh, he was entertaining to me. He was the most fun out of the new three that we got. Um, I was looking forward to Fair. to kind of seeing his story continue. From my understanding, it was Flashpoint, and then with how poorly this did, well, we'll get that later. That was kind of scrapped but the flashpoint story sounded really exciting that sounded like there could be some some it could fix some of the mistakes that maybe warners had initially made i think it could have it could have been a correction as they say in the stock market um but at the same numbers man using number i do (laughs) i do I, i tell i know right but I do feel like his um, he's kind of limited. I feel like it was kind of one note with him. I feel like he's got this look where he's kind of like, does this... Scared the whole time? You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, he does it a couple of times at the end in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the tunnel when they're all fighting. And then, of course, when you see Superman, it's like, it gets kind of one note-ish. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it wasn't horrible. And he was the most entertaining out of, by far, Aquaman and Cyborg. And um, I would maybe even... Nah, yeah, he's he's probably out of the three. He's he's probably my favorite, if that could be said. And the fact that Ezra <laughs> Miller is such a piece of shit later, that <laughs> makes me hate myself. You know, it's yeah, like, right. Did he do something new? Am I missing something? Like he hit somebody, right? Did you miss the the the, the choke slam? Uh, the choke slam of the fan? Like he of the female. Like he, fan? he he went Undertaker on her and like choke slammed this girl in the middle of a street. Dang, that's kind of that's kind yeah. of surprising from a skinny kid. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't a large girl, but like, I mean, Ezra Miller's got that weird like skinny guy strength, I guess. Uh. Just... Andrew, were you, are you familiar with? Andrew this? knows Can all about skinny guy up? strength. <laughs> yeah, Do, doing his circus acrobatics. That's fair. You know, I can I completely agree with Chris in that like 
his character, but I also agree with you, Eric, and that his character is just so weird. And it's <laughs> and it's kind of unfair to like make a comparison or, or try to say this is Barry Allen because Grant Gustafson does do it. Like really well. Love me some Grant Gustin Flash. Grant Gustin from the CW The Flash series. Like I, I always make fun of the Flash show. Like I really yes, do. On a consistent but, basis. But like seeing <laughs> Justice League, I was like, oh wow. No, they did like for what to make it the Flash a TV show, they they nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. It made me appreciate that whole universe so much more because you're absolutely right, Eric, in that the of all the flashes they could have done. And which are there's quite a bit like they're actually like it's a very like full roster like even Jay Garrett could have filled in this story somehow how but instead we got this sort of very like yeah it, it it's really weird and I think you're absolutely right they saw Civil War and went oh we need a teenager in our movie so we're gonna turn uh like we're we're gonna turn 28 year old Ezra Miller into a 17-year-old Barry Allen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, well, okay, if, if we need to. And, like, I, it was really weird because we've already got we've already got Ben Affleck. We've already got Gal Gadot. We've already got uh, Jason Momoa. We've already got uh, uh, Henry Cavill. So we've got a bunch of dark-haired, dark-eyed individuals. <laughs> That's so like, true. I mean, like... No blondes! Like, yeah, no, exactly. And, like, you've already sacrificed that in Aquaman. Like, couldn't we just get, like, one blonde dude? Or couldn't we get, like, just anybody else to play the Flash? Couldn't we get some Latino or, or like, like some African-American or even Asian Barry Allen could have been more interesting than what we got out of Ezra Miller? It wouldn't have changed too much. But, like, I think, like, that's also a character that, that could have been and well represented by somebody else. And it's just like, I, yeah, it's such a weird take on the character because there's really no direction that they want to go with. Instead, they were just like, you're going to fill the jokes. You're going to be our comedic relief. And please, God, save this movie because it's way too downer <laughs> and it's way too serious. Well, and he's that's pretty much like his role in the film. And you can tell that all of the jo the actual jokes that he makes in the film were part of the reshoots. Like if you pay attention, like in the original like footage, he has some kind of like weird gel in his hair. So his hair's a little bit like, I don't want to say like greasier, but wetter. And then like in all of the reshoots, like all of the jokes, his hair is super dry and like styled differently. And I'm like, I guess they just didn't have like gel that day or whatever. But like, it's so interesting that they basically decided, hey, you're the fastest man alive who has the ability to throw lightning and run through time. We're going to make you the comic relief. And they like, they did like one of those things that like Joss Whedon always does in his movies and in his stories where it's like, oh, the guy pushes the girl out of the way and then lands in her boobs. And it's like, it's, you see it in, you see it in Age of Ultron. You see it here. Like it's, it's that thing that you know is like gross. God, you do. But, yeah. But you don't like, but he has it in every single time. Um, actually, there's a report. Uh, a story that body went around double. that, yeah, that that scene where he does that is a body double because Gal Gadot wasn't comfortable with it. And it makes so much sense yeah. because it's awkward yeah. and unnecessary. But it's like the Flash as he is, as he's utilizing this film, you could have literally subbed out any other character because he's not utilized with the exception of lightning charging um, the... Matrix to revive Superman, which you could have done with Shazam. 
Um, he doesn't bring any utility to this film. It's basically like, oh, he's a name. We got to get him in there. But we don't know what to do with him. So we're just going to... He's going to be the joke guy. And it's and it, it takes away from Cyborg, who could be that jokey character. I mean, Ray Fisher's no Carrie Payton from cyborg and the teen titans animated series but like he could he could have comedic moments he had comedic moments with ezra miller in this film the digging the grave scene is actually really funny but because the two of them are this weird odd couple of like cyborg being super serious and barry allen not being so he keeps trying to like fist bump him and cyborg just doesn't respond to it and they're like, oh, you know, this is kind of messed up, huh? We're digging up a guy's grave. But I don't know, just it didn't work for me. And a lot of their interactions didn't work for me. But what also didn't work for me, surprisingly enough, were our Trinity. The three main characters of this whole yeah. Snyderverse. Um, we'll tackle them one at a time. Uh, let's talk about the one who gets the least amount to do. And that's Superman. For some reason... Zack Snyder decided to kill Superman at the end of Batman v Superman, and not even one movie later in this story brings him back. And it's so weird how they decide to bring him back. Like, it's it's literally just out of nowhere. They're having a conversation after they have that first encounter with Steppenwolf, and they're like, you know, we can't beat this guy, blah, blah, blah. He's real strong. And then Batman's just like... <laughs> You know who else is strong. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Act 2 is all about trying to s revive Superman. And it's like, what are we doing? You don't need him in this film. He's in none of the marketing. The film is sold on the five heroes that are based that this movie is based around. And yet, they decide that Superman needs to be in this movie. Because they need that shot of all of them at the end. And it just, it really doesn't work. And I will say, and I said this uh, after watching it for the first time, Henry Cavill's performance as Superman after being revived is probably the closest to classic Superman that he ever gets in these films. He's bright, he's helpful, he's a little cheesy. I know it's a terrible line, I know it's terribly written, I know it's terribly delivered, but I feel fucking love when he says I believe in truth but I'm also a big, I'm fan, a big of fan of justice, justice. Yeah, and it's just like yeah, yeah Superman you're so lame I yeah. love it and I just I don't he wasn't necessary in the film and even more so when you consider like all the reshoot stuff like just cut him out then if he's not gonna work with the reshoots just don't have him in there um I also love that they, with all of the talk prior to the release of the movie, they're like, dude, these reshoots, man, that mustache work is just rough. They decide that the very <laughs> opening scene of this film is going to be utilized to desensitize you <laughs> to his face. Because the opening scene is this found footage style, like these kids running up for their TikToks or whatever, to like interview Superman and be like, Superman, Superman, you just you just you just punched that guy real hard. Superman, we got some questions. And he turns and it's like, oof. That's like Tron Legacy Jeff Bridges 
clue <laughs> CGI trying to de-age him. Like, that's bad. That's really bad. Capital B, yeah. bad. And it's so, and it's even worse because the, like, how uh, Chris talked about the extensive amount of digital wizardry that they had to do to remove it from frame by frame. They only did it, like, around the mouth. And so you you see, like, the rest of his face from, like, the nose up just looks normal. And then just his mouth looks like one of those, like, weird, like Andrew was saying, one of those weird deep fake videos where they just stick a mouth (laughs) on somebody to say things. And it just, it's so off-putting. And it's so strange, and I don't understand. Um, Chris, how did you feel about the inclusion of Superman and what what he kind of brought to the movie or didn't bring to the movie? It felt cheap. It felt it didn't feel earned. I mean, think I think that's a big part of it, and I think that it just goes back to like, I imagine at some point Warner's had a big board on a table, and they said, okay, this year we're going to put this out. Next year we're going to put this out, and they had to, they had to put this board and their plan basically in hyperdrive. As you know, I knew and I wanted to bring it up, and I'll bring it up later too. This movie was released in 2017. By 2017. We had two Avengers movies. We had the Guardians film. We had we had Civil War. Um, we had Guardians uh, Volume Two. Winter Soldier. We had, yeah. We we had so many things that led up to that. So I'm I'm sure they were basically let's let's hit fast forward. Let's bring back our guy because Superman, like we talked about, was their guy to kick off. It's he's their Iron Man, and we all kind of agreed that that's a good place to start. So I'm sure they knew that. So we'll kill him off. But we got to bring him back as soon as we can because we've got this fucking, we've got our our universe to kind of continue. So for me, it felt cheap. I absolutely agree with you, Eric. He was taken. He was he wasn't on a lot of the marketing. Um, I think people had spotted some some posters that come out from overseas where there was like um, his his shield in one part of it, but it was blank, or there was space in the marketing for him, but and, and to me, it did. It felt super cheap. It felt plugged in, and it. But again, I'm going to use the word Frankensteining, just piggyback off of what you guys said. He kind of felt like it was shoehorned in there. We have to mm-hmm. make this fit. Where can we make this fit? And I think that was, obviously that wasn't the intention at Warner's. I feel like, you know, they knew they had to do something. This was, I guess, the best idea they had to do. It just it just fails miserably, in my opinion. Really, yeah. really. Because he's in it for what? He's, he, they have that cool fight, which we, which I think might be the best part of the entire movie. We have mm-hmm. him talking to Lois, and then he shows up at the end to deliver that awesome line, like you said. So he's in it for maybe like three sections of the movie. and, and But I don't know. It just it doesn't feel earned as an audience member. Right. Well, and what I think it's it's so interesting to me is that if you take out Superman... You still have two incredible holdovers from your previous movie in Batman and Wonder Woman. Especially with Wonder Woman having a movie that was released the same year as Justice League. Everyone was high off of Wonder Woman. They're like, okay, they're getting their shit together. They know what they're doing now. Justice League might be okay. And Wonder Woman's inclusion in this is so frustrating because again it's it's and i keep drawing these comparisons to the avengers movies because joss whedon worked on both but like there's certain moments 
Yeah. And there are certain moments yeah. where it's just like, that's not a Wonder Woman line. That's not a Wonder Woman action she would take. That's a Black Widow line. <laughs> There's a moment where she's just like, just to herself or to no one in general, she's just like, children, I work with children. And it's like, all right there, Miss Scarlett Johansson, I need you to dial that back a little bit and keep being Wonder Woman for a moment. <laughs> and it's so it's so frustrating because, again, she is utilized as eye candy. She is utilized as the mediator between the clashing uh, men on the team. And really, her, what does she contribute into this movie besides the lasso scene with Jason Momoa where he talks about he doesn't want to die or having and that. how pretty she is. Yeah, how pretty she is, yeah. that great, you know, falling on the boobs scene that we talked about earlier, or like yeah. just really not doing anything. And it's so frustrating to me because she has one of my favorite scenes in the movie, like her introduction into the film against the terrorists, super strong, really, really good. And it's so like... I, I get frustrated throughout watching this movie because I look at Wonder Woman and I'm like, you could be doing so much more. Andrew, how did you feel? I know I know we've talked about in a previous episode your very strong feelings about Wonder Woman and her usage and portrayal in these films. How did you feel about her role in this film? I mean, like, it's, it's hard for me to say because there's just so much... Like, you're absolutely right in that Josh Whedon's take on Wonder Woman is so just mishandled in that she feels like she's the mom of the group. And that's not (laughs) what Wonder Woman's supposed to be. (laughs) Like that's, that's the least thing that she like Wonder Woman at the end of the day is, is a sword carrying shield bashing warrior. And she like, I, I understand that sort of femininity of taking care of people and of being emotional support. But like, it literally just feels like it's mom complaining about the kid. It's most of the time <laughs> when she's when she's doing anything with the rest of the group and like she doesn't feel like she's really there. She doesn't her energy doesn't feel like she's really contributing to anything like you said. She, and again, like I have said how I'm not the biggest fan of Gal Gadot, but like I like it astounds me how one of the worst line reads is from Gal Gadot in that I, I can't remember what Superman's doing. But it's like when Superman wakes up and he's just tearing apart the entire team, which oh, is a terrible scene. I know exactly you, what you're talking about. And you just hear her go, Cal, no! And it's like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow, that's the best take? That was the best take from the day? That one? Wow, someone is not having a good time. That's really what I... like. It's really not fair... To have Patty Jenkin and Wonder or Gal Gadot working so well together on Wonder Woman and really making a pretty good movie and really trying and then coming to Justice League and having this catastrophe have happen and Gal Gadot rightfully going, I'm going to give zero effort to this because this is a <laughs> fucking nightmare. And I am not I'm like I have I, I don't blame her. I literally don't blame her because I've been in shitty jobs. I've been in places where it sucked my energy completely out, and this is what it felt like, like especially from her. her. Like, and she was given nothing to really work with, and you're just absolutely right in that this, this doesn't feel like Wonder Woman. That opening scene, absolutely. That opening scene still slams. That still rocks. But everything after that is just like is just so clunky and so slow that nothing feels like she should be a part of, part of the movie that's going on. 
Yeah, I well, I, I couldn't and, agree more. And and you know the, the of course the interesting part about it is this is the first time that Gal Gadot's, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman was handled by a male director, two male directors. So I'm sure you guys know it was famously talked about how the costumes were different that the Amazons were wearing in in uh, Wonder Woman and to mm-hmm. Justice League. Yep. And it just kind of shows that maybe a male director doesn't know how to handle that, write that costume, that character, kind of put that character in a position to not only be faithful to the fans, but also to, you know, the female moviegoers who want to see a superhero who's female kind of kind of taking charge. And, and for whatever, for everything you said, that she just kind of feels tacked on her. The, her writing wasn't good. Her dialogue wasn't good. But I know the part that you're, the part that you're talking about, Andrew, makes me laugh every fucking time. I, it, it, is, it looks like it her face hard. is in slow motion. It, it's Hello, just so no. bad. It's like, yeah, it's it's yeah. It's, it's just so bad. Like it's but, it, it's literally the worst line read I've ever seen in a movie. I sat through the room, <laughs> and it's still the worst worst line read. But it's not the worst line in the film. That belongs to the final member of our trilogy, in my opinion, uh, the one, the only, the Batman, Ben Affleck, who went through not just a drastic character change in this movie. Not just, like, varying weight throughout this movie. Different beard pieces. Different, like, hair pieces. Like, Ben Affleck, as Batman, in this movie, is a completely different character from Batman v Superman. Who is also a completely different character from Batman in Suicide Squad. So, in a way, we see that Ben Affleck has range. Playing the same character differently across three different films. Ben Affleck is an actor, ladies and gentlemen. And it's so frustrating. Again, and I keep using that word, but I think it fits here. Um, Watching what they do with him, because they decide very quickly on that, oh, Bruce Wayne's going to be our Tony Stark. That's where we get the lines like, I hear you talk to fish, smirk. And like, it's like... It's so, again, it's just the handling of this character that doesn't feel like it jives with not just the rest of the cast, but also with the pre-established characterization of the character leading up to this. The scene that we have referenced a few times, and again, might be the best scene in the movie, where Superman, it's basically Superman versus everybody. Um, there's There's a really great moment where Superman is like, you won't you won't let me live and you won't let me die and i'm like oh okay i'm interested what are we gonna do here and then henry cavill in one of the best line reads of the movie goes tell me do you bleed (laughs) through gritted teeth and then that joke is immediately followed up on by ben affleck in his Batman costume, full on, in his Batman costume, laying on the ground going, yep, something's definitely bleeding. And I'm like, oh, that's Dadman. We've got Dadman here. We talked about fucking Wonder Woman being mom. Um, Ben Affleck is just dad, Bruce Wayne. And it's, again, it's like, what are we, what is your goal for this character? Like, I get it. You want all these characters on the same board. Why are they on the same board? How do they work together? Why do they work together? 
and it just it feels it feels hollow and it feels like he's just a placeholder for a character that whether Zack Snyder or Joss Whedon is much more interested in portraying instead of him uh, yeah I'm sorry Andrew go ahead no, it, like, there's not much else I can say. I mean, like, it's absolutely like I make the joke every single time of fat like like it is <laughs> astounding <laughs> to see Ben Affleck go up and down in weight. Like, and you can tell across scenes. I, no, exactly. In the same scene. Like, it's astounding. Like, he's suddenly standing, then he's sitting. He's suddenly standing, then he's sitting. And I'm always just like, why is this happening? And I realize I'm just like, oh, you lost the weight. And you got into Batman shape for Justice League with Zack Snyder that you signed up for. And then some time passed. You went through a divorce and a whole bunch of other shit. And you got, you know, the dad bod back. And so now you got to sit down to hide your double chin and put on these tight fitted suits that don't fit anymore. And it's just like, wow, this is not going to be okay, isn't it? And like, you're absolutely right. Like he's he is the dad. But, like, it is kind of the divorced dad of just, like, I've got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I've got no idea. Yeah. And it's it's yeah, really but... kind of astounding to see, like, Batman versus Superman and, like, that Batman where it was very, very Frank Miller. And, it, and in its own world worked for what they were trying to do. And then to see this and to see the Josh Whedon just like, oh, we got to give you jokes. And it's like, this is not the character to give jokes. This is absolutely not the character to try to charm up. Like you, this is the sour downer note that needs to be in this movie. Yeah. And, and, and I think that there's a big part of that. And I think I really want to touch on what you, what both of you said, because Eric, you had mentioned that they don't know what to do with this character. And I think that's the biggest part. I like to say that, well, you know what had Warner brothers started seven years earlier. And if they had the Batman and Batman versus Superman and a sequel to Man of Steel, I think that would be would be different, you know. But maybe it wouldn't be. Maybe it wouldn't be because when they get to Justice League, all those character choices that those characters have made have all been kind of tossed. Maybe they just don't. They don't. They're not. They're not. You know. I guess loyal to those characters. And then Andrew, dude, you're so right. Um, I was looking at this, and and I guess Affleck was in rehab when they were filming um, Justice League. So. For BVS, you know, he was doing well. He was lifting. He felt good about life. And then, you know, he's got that sad Affleck interview that kind of happens. And then, of course, he gets checked into rehab. So, yeah, I mean, the the ebbs and flows of his life really kind of bled into that. And I honestly think that, you know, at one time he was signed on to be the writer, director, and lead for The Batman. And it's funny because I think that people have said that his type of stories are smaller vignettish kind of stories. Like the town is great. Um, Argo is magnificent. Um, and, and so I, I think the talent uh, is there, but I think when, you know, you're, you're, I, I don't, I don't know if he was ever my Batman anyway. Although it, it's interesting because I think during justice league, there was some rumblings that, Affleck might be falling out of love with Warners and vice versa. And that's, I think, where the story for Flashpoint came into effect, where it would be a different Bruce Wayne. Now, I don't know the story for Flash's Flashpoint, but it's an alternate but similar world. Yeah, and I think that as, you know, this idea that like, oh, we can reset everything, it it feels like, hey, we're throwing in the towel. 
Like we know this sucks. Yeah. And um, they're tapping out and it's just like, no, keep yeah. going. Like try to figure this out. Right. Well, and then going back to Justice League, it just feels like they at a certain point in the film and like watching it this time, especially it felt like it. They just kind of gave up. They were just like halfway through. They're just like, Dah, we're just going to we're just going to do what we can and get out of here. Um, would have phoned it in, get it through and then just move on. And it's frustrating because I think in a in a on Earth 2. This film could have been really good if people cared and they didn't just care about getting their bonus or they didn't just care about meeting a deadline or they didn't care about just making things funnier. And it, I don't know, it's it's frustrating when you think about the potential of this film. Um, there is a version of this movie because they did it in animated form, mm-hmm. like in between oh. all of this. And it worked well. It worked in a, mo- a movie. And it's the new. It's the basically the first two issues of the new Fifty Two Justice League. Yeah. And they did that, and that worked in animation form. And I was always just like, well, there you go. You have the script. You got the. You got the actors. Just do this. No one's gonna care. No one sees this. Just do this. I totally thought you were talking about Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, and I was like, I don't want to go there. I don't want that to be the movie, please. And there's like this concern I have that, and this is a conversation for another episode, but there's like this concern I have that the Snyder Cut is going to lean more heavily towards that, and that makes me worried. But that's not what we're talking about here. Um, one one thing I wanted to point out real quick while we were talking about the Trinity is that like we've all watched the movie, some of us multiple times, Chris, and <laughs> I think we can all agree that like Bruce Wayne is in love with superman right like it's really obvious across this film that he drops heavy signs that he's this like forlorn lover like who can't get over his ex and the impact that they that he made on his life there's a moment i know you are uh there's a moment where like after (laughs) superman comes back and he's like well i i knew you didn't bring me back just because you liked me and batman gets flustered and he's just like, well, I just, yeah. I, I don't not like not you. Not like you. Yeah. And then, like, he talks about, like, he is gung-ho. He's the only one who thinks bringing back Superman is a good idea. Everyone else is like, this is, this could be really bad. And then at the end of the movie, we see that um, the Kent farm has been rebought and everything. And Superman and, or fucking Cal and Bruce are standing next to each other. And Bruce is just like, well, you know, I bought the bank. For you, my love. <laughs> he doesn't say that explicitly, but the subtext is there. Go to prom but, with me. Pre- please go to prom with me. I bought you your farmhouse. But like <laughs> that, among like a myriad of other reasons, is just like why it feels so fucking re- Like there's this weird Russian family subplot, which feels, again, ripped straight yeah. out of Age of Ultron. Um, yeah. Uh, and then like there are these odd post credit scenes like, I actually was really into the whole, like, oh, we're going to get, like, the race, the Flash Superman race from the comics. I'm like, okay, cool. And then they brought up brunch again, and I'm like, god damn it. You were so close, and you just ruined it again. And it's, it's like, a lot of, like, little things that bother me. Like, they had this great, you know, tease for a Legion of Doom that could possibly pop up with... Andrew's favorite actor, Joe Manganiello, popping up as Deathstroke alongside the now bald um, 
Lex Luthor. Which this scene, where they go, the Arkham guard comes to talk to Luthor in his cell. And he turns around, and it's not even like a convincing double. It's just some random old guy. And it's like, who are you fooling? Like, how long (laughs) did you think you were going to be able to keep up this ruse? But anyway. Now that we've talked about the things we liked, the things we disliked, do do you guys have any favorite scenes from this film or favorite moments? I think we all agree on the the Superman versus everybody scene, and then the uh, the Wonder yeah. Woman intro. That's a I I don't even like the one I don't even like the Superman scene where he fights everybody because it just kind of shows to me of just like oh none of this matters because we have Superman now and Superman can just annihilate all these high powered individuals. So what's the point? Like kind of toning down, like I thought it was going to be a great moment to tone down Superman a little bit, but instead it was just like, Oh, this can all be accomplished with just Superman by himself, which is the end result of the entire movie. Seeing Superman have like cold breath was pretty cool. But other Mm. than that, there is not, there is not a lot, lot that I like about this movie. Chris? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's it's pretty accurate. And again, I don't want to I don't want to gloss over it because every movie we've talked about has had a big CGI battle at the end and guess mm-hmm. what? This one is absolutely no different. And yep. so, you know, against it's just the the end the end battles are just handled so poorly. And Andrew makes a great point. Uh, part of what Dustin will say is that basically Superman is unfair. He's OP as they say in the gaming industry, right? like he's a god how do what villain can you adequately stack up that kind of balances that out while also maintaining part of your unit is human so how do you balance the scales to where you feel you're you feel threatened for the characters you like but at the same time put them in a realistic situation that 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 is challenging so i think that's kind of a problem with the the characters that that dc kind of has in their especially right now um in their lineup and and to me like they're mostly all gods but not whereas in you look at again it's impossible to not make some of the mcu references right so their avengers where we have tony we have uh, um, uh black widow hawkeye these three are humans um you know what i mean and yes of course thor who's who's god ish and um and cap who's also a human so those threats that we have those immediate threats that kind of translate to things that we can identify with are real in that sense too but as soon as you flipped this page to the dcu you've got wonder woman who's as andrew has very well situated that he that she's kind of a god she comes from a god superman who's kind of a god aquaman who is you know we haven't really got an aqua god when it and uh, right poseidon so at this point so we've got three gods all, already but now we have batman and flash who basically are humans that can do extraordinary things so to me the balance is off and i don't think they'll ever be a balancing where it's like, oh, this is this good. There's never going to be, at least in my mind, with the current situation, there's going to be an even, an even platform where the where the end battle will be good. Now, Birds of Prey is kind of different, right? Because they're all human. They're all they all have they're extraordinary humans. So I think mm-hmm. that makes a difference. And while I haven't seen it yet, you two say that that spoiler alert may be your favorite or one of the two favorite in this whole library of films that DC has put out. Maybe that's, maybe that's why, or part of the reason why I think it can be done. I think striking that balance, like with, you know, the different, uh, non-powered versus super powered characters, it can be done. It has been done, but with, 
I think you're absolutely right with the players that they have, the way that they've positioned them, the way that they are treated in this story. There's no way to have that balance. And it really hampers you in the storytelling department because it almost handicaps you on what kind of stories you can tell with these characters. Sure. And I think, honestly, that's, you know, one of the reasons why the film doesn't work why the film is so forgettable, and why the film only got one award. It's time for awards. <laughs> oh, God. Justice League got one award, believe it or not. And the award was for the BMI Awards. That's the uh, Broadcast Music uh, Institute, I think. Industry. Um, Industry, yes. Broadcast Music Industry Film and TV Awards. And they won the award for Film Music Award for Danny Elfman's score. What the fuck? Really? I know. But also, I think you would be surprised to know that this film was shortlisted for the 2018 Oscars for Best Visual Effects. (laughs) Ultimately, as we know, it wasn't nominated, rightfully so. But the fact that it was even shortlisted for that is ridiculous. But we're not, we, we've moved past the awards now. It's only won one award, and now it's time for Chris's Number Corner. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, <laughs> Chris's Numbers. I want that sound effect. When this thing comes up, I want that ba 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 All right, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that's in there. <laughs> so this is by far and away the most expensive uh, DC film that they made uh, or that was allocated budget-wise. Uh, it's wow. $300 million. Jeez. And of course, that includes reshoots, the $25 million we talked about. Even if you take away that $25 million, it's two hundred and it's still $275 million, which is still $25 million more than BVS, which was the next closest one wow. at $250 million. So it was, they sunk a shit ton of money on this. An opening weekend, it made $93 million. So one-third of its initial budget. Not even close. The entire U.S. gross was 228 So it didn't even make back its budget here in the States. Wow. Um, worldwide, it grossed 428 So as a total, you're looking at 657 So it doubled its budget, but the problem was that then we get into the, uh, the critic scores. And so it's 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it is 45 in Metacritic. So just for comparison, yeah, the worst. This. So Suicide Squad was the worst at 40 for Metacritic. The next worst is sadly BVS at 44. And this is 45. Those are the three worst so... in the DCEU. I would argue, yeah. and we'll we'll discuss this for the the final scoring and final thoughts and everything. But I would not rank them that way between those three films. Honestly, I'd, I'd put this yeah. at the bottom. Like, yeah. Metacritic scores be damned. Like, this is, ugh, yeah. that's gross. Well, yeah, it's not. It's, it's nowhere near the bottom when it comes to Rotten either. Rotten's got it at 40. The lowest is Suicide at 26. The second lowest is Batman at 27. Wow. So... This is higher than Batman v Superman? By by quite a bit. Jeez. Uh, PBS is 27. This is 40. So, That's ridiculous. 
and that's critic that's critics too so that there, there's yeah. that. as far as audience goes audience it, it sits at believe it or not 77 percent people enjoy <laughs> this film. yeah wow when they see general it. public has no taste this no. is exactly how you know that <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's probably true because VVS is sitting at sixty three percent audience, uh, so wow. they didn't shit on that, but but apparently it was, it was pretty rough. Um, but but yeah, that that kind of wraps it up for that. It, the biggest, the the most telling number here is the six hundred fifty seven million dollars. That's that's the total gross that it made in the theaters, and with a budget of three hundred million, Warner's had to expect yeah, something no way. much yeah. much more than that. They were hoping. I mean, we'll talk about Aquaman next, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that. Aquaman made much more than this worldwide, mm-hmm. much more. So sure. they did something very, very wrong with this, and that's kind of undeniable. Yeah, I agree. And I think that overall, the film is kind of this this monument to missed opportunities and mismanagement. And yeah. the film, as it stands, prior to the release of the Snyder Cut, which is coming out... Um, it just it it really is now going to be this like forgotten chapter this like little thing that we have to like set aside and be like you're not canon and we're just you know we're gonna have to ignore it which is sad for the people who actually you know worked on this film but sure at the end it's like it i have this i have this in my notes is like conclusion who cares exactly no one cared. Yeah. The people didn't care about making this movie. The 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 studio didn't care about making this movie. So why should we care about it? As we roll in and we wrap up here, uh, let's do final thoughts and scores. Our arbitrary geek explains scores normally out of five or out of ten. However, you decide to score it. We're gonna go with Chris first. Let us know your final thoughts on the film and how you would score the film. All right, I'm going to do my score first and then final thoughts because I'm going to rant a little bit for final thoughts. Yes. I'm going to do a 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10? I think okay. 4 out of Yeah, 4 out of 10. I, I think that people should see it and examine it. This can be that lesson of what not to do, I think, for <laughs> – you know what I mean? If, if you're trying to – So it's an instructional universe, movie. Hey, if see it for no other reason than that, right? This is what not to do. This is how to really drop the ball. And I, I want to say that people are really hyping up the the Snyder cut, but let's—he wrote this movie, and in the film business, you hear you hear a movie's made three times when you shoot it, when you edit it. I'm sorry, when you write it, when you shoot it, and when you edit it. And so he was there for two of those three things. So I I don't want to let Zach off the hook. I mean, we haven't talked about him. I've spoken about the writing and the direction of some of the previous uh, films. We I, we all have, mm-hmm. and, and and I think we're letting him off the hook in a sense, because he was the architect of this whole thing. So really, I we've mentioned that they've kind of painted themselves in a corner with the character choices in films that have preceded this film. He was that guy. Like, you were the dude in charge, right? This was has happened on your watch. So the fact that, and it, and it was a horrible tragedy that kind of fell over his family and whatnot, and I understand that. But at the same time, that does not exclude Man of Steel, BVS, uh, 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 just in, in the Justice League. So you knew what you had. You, you and even if you didn't direct Suicide and Wonder Woman, you again were probably. I think he was an EP on those two, and so was his wife. So hmm. he knew what was happening. He understood. Yeah, he understood the chessboard that ha- that was in front of him. And so I think that even though the Snyder Cut is a big deal because people are kind of seeing his vision, 
let's not forget that most of his vision so far has been has been shitty. It's really kind of sucked. <laughs> and so, you know what I mean? Let's and you know what I mean? That's kind of my biggest thought with Justice League and and again, Frankenstein. It feels mismatched. It feels like they don't care about these characters not just in the uh, source text format but also as in the screenplay as the continuation of a character that they built you know in, in iron man we we see tony's kind of come full circle to where he takes out his, his you would know the name of it both of you i don't where he's, he just gets rid of it like his character sir arc is kind of complete we never see that we never see anything like that for any of these characters in fact i think we see a regression to how like you said wonder woman's kind of the mom she's not a fucking mom she's that's not who she is and you know bat flick dad flick fat flick whatever you want to call it <laughs> he just wasn't it wasn't right and wasn't right in a whole bunch of different levels but i'm done i'm, I'm stepping down from the soapbox <laughs> and uh, i <laughs> that's that's kind of my rant on uh, on jl for this one so chris gives his impassioned speech and gives the film a four out of ten andrew how would you score this film and what are your final thoughts I full honestly, I refuse to rate this movie. I full on refuse. <laughs> really? Like, I refuse to put it on a scoreboard. I refuse to put it in the roster of other movies that we've tried to give in a fair judgment on. Because this movie is so bad. This movie is so mishandled. This movie is a disaster. And I completely agree with Chris and that you should absolutely show this to filmmakers and go, hey, here's what you don't do with $300 million. You can make so much more with so much less. And so remember, they colossally messed this up. So whatever you do, you're going to do so much better than this. Like, And that's what it feels like. <laughs> like th there's nothing more I can say in that I, I, I don't, ever want to see this movie again i don't ever <laughs> want to talk about this this movie i'm willing to watch the snyder cut i'm willing to give what the original director and original writer wanted to do and i'm willing to give that a honest score but this frankenstein monstrosity does not deserve to see the light of the day because it shouldn't have come out in the first place and so i i refuse to give it any merit or any new new numerical value Wow, no rating whatsoever from the Kincaid camp. That's uh Yeah, I I don't I don't blame you for that. It's honestly, you know, this film we've talked about it before in previous episodes that there are films in this series that have made us angry. There are films that have made us disappointed. There are films that have um made us happy. There's one film so far that has made us happy. But this this film is a nothing film. This film does not make me feel anything watching it. I I am someone who, when I have my attention on something, I try my best to give it my full attention. When I'm watching these movies, I watch the movies. I sat through the ultimate edition of, ba of Batman v Superman all three hours and gave it my undivided attention. <laughs> I could not bring myself to give this movie my full attention while I was watching it. I kept checking my phone. I kept doing other things. I cooked a meal while watching this <laughs> in the other room. Like, I could just hear it. And I just, I, I don't have any kind of outward feeling towards this movie just because it's a nothing movie. I wish I felt strongly enough about it to hate it. 
I wish I felt strongly enough about it to, you know, be angry about it, but I just, I don't. This, like both of you have said, like, this is something that is so forgettable, so unnecessary, and it's something that with the release of the Snyder Cut is going to be obsolete and unnecessary viewing. And that's, yeah, that's unfortunate. But for me, my final score for this, um, it's a two out of 10. Just as a nothing movie, I just, I could not, with previous scores from films, I could not put this above any of the films that we've watched. As bad as we've talked about some of these films, this film is at the bottom tier for me. So that does it for this episode, talking about the 2017 Justice League, the 2017 train wreck nothingness that is... Justice League. Uh, tune in for our next episode, which we will maybe have a better time with. Fingers crossed underwater, because we'll be talking about 2018's Aquaman. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. This is Andrew Kincaid. <laughs> My man, Chris <Yes>, Carter. <laughs> My <And> man. We... <laughs> All right. And we will <laughs> see you next time. Come together. My man. My man. My man. All right. <laughs>